0: Has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And this passage from Isaiah sits in a part of the book of Isaiah where he had been prophesying the exile of the Jews, the exile the, the, the destruction of Israel, basically, the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the uh, the Jews to Babylon but that 's not the only thing that 's prophesied in there. he prophesies that God will restore the land. And that's what he's doing here. Isaiah's saying, here am I, I'm, I'm God's witness. God has told me to tell you these things, that he will work out for you the year of his favour. And whilst the Jews that heard this at the time from Isaiah's lips didn't understand it, God fulfilled these prophecies, what was it, 300 years later, when he sent Cyrus to uh, I swear, take over, to capture the Babylonian Empire and to uh, make that famous announcement that he would allow uh, the Jews to go back. And then Ezra went back, followed by Nehemiah. this phrase, the year of the Lord's favour, has roots even further back. And it's actually referring to the year of the Jubilee. And interestingly, I discovered that um, the word, the Hebrew word for Jubilee is related to a ram's horn, because uh, the announcement of it starting was blown blown through a ram's horn. So the, the literal meaning of Jubilee is a ram's horn, which is just curious. Just curious. So here we have this year of Jubilee. And Isaiah was promising that God would visit that year of Jubilee upon Israel. And Jesus, in his turn, was promising that he would proclaim that year of jubilee upon the world. Now let's just start another thread to end up with the jubilee. What did God do immediately after he had completed the creation and decided and declared that it was very good, exceedingly good? He rested. He rested the seventh day, he had a day of rest. Um, As one of the commentators suggested that the word there for rest was like God catching his breath after these six days of creation. But he also said that not only was he resting, that this was holy to God. And when we get to Mount Sinai, when... God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, we come across the fourth commandment, which is to keep the Sabbath day holy. That's the sixth or the seventh day. So six days you shall work, the seventh day you'll rest and keep holy to God. And the reason in Exodus we read is because it's in commemoration of God's creative work and the day of rest, that he had after that time and so God through uh, (coughs) Moses and the law established the idea of the Sabbath and set it in place. Now interestingly if you look at the um, account in Deuteronomy when Moses is summarizing God's law and reminding the uh, the Israelites of God's law before they go into the promised land the reason he gives then for remembering the Sabbath day is because God took these people from their captivity and oppression in, Israel, in, in Egypt and brought them out of Egypt. So this Sabbath day has kind of got three purposes for the Jew one is to keep it holy because God is holy and to remember God the creator. It's to remember <clears throat> also that uh, not only is he creator but he also rescued Israel from their captivity and slavery in Egypt. But in Leviticus <clears throat> we, we read on and we hear about another kind of sabbath. A Sabbath year and the thing just to remember here is that Israel was a subsistence economy it meant that means that they were an agricultural economy and they had to grow stuff to survive if they didn't grow stuff they wouldn't survive if there was no harvest they would go hungry but God says every seventh year let the land rest have a Sabbath year and let the land rest and they weren't even allowed to scavenge and take whatever it was that was grown in what grew in the land without their farming so if they'd got a vine that's an easy one to to think of a vine will grow grapes whether or not the farmer is looking after it or not and in that year for instance that year of sabbath they were not allowed to take the grapes it was to give the land complete rest but then we hear of a, another kind of Sabbath, and this other kind of Sabbath, as it were, is the year of Jubilee. And God says, <clears throat> after you've had seven of these Sabbath years, you're to have an extra year. So after 49 years, you're to have a 50th year. And again, you don't farm the land. You just don't farm the land and it's a very special year it's not just about um, not farming the land because there are some other interesting things that we read in Leviticus that happen one of them is that God restores the land to the people now if you remember when the Israelites went into the promised land the land was parceled up and allotted to everybody so everybody had got a chunk of land But if somebody fell on hard times and they sold the land, on the year of Jubilee, it went back to their ownership or their family's ownership because after 50 years, they might have passed on. So God set this in place to restore the land to its rightful ownership. So this 50th year is a year of restoration. And God gives instructions about selling land And the price you got for the land depended on how many years it was between now, as it were, when you were trying to sell the land and the year of Jubilee. So if it was 40 years to the Jubilee, you got more money than if it was 10 years to the Jubilee. It's kind of like a lease. We'd, We'd think of it in terms of leasing the land now. But it was restored to the ownership. Also, it was a year of release for those who were In captivity a particular kind of captivity now if uh, if uh, an Israelite got into real hard times they could sell themselves into slavery sell themselves into service now if they sold themselves into the service of another uh, another Jew then that could only be for six years on the seventh year they had to be made free It's not necessarily aligned with the Sabbath year, but it's the same principle. But if they sold themselves into the service of a foreigner in the land, it would seem that seven years didn't apply. But when they got to the year of Jubilee, they were freed. Their service could only be up to the year of Jubilee. And so these people that had been forced to put themselves into the captivity of a foreigner to serve them as a slave they were released at the year of Jubilee one of the questions in Leviticus 25 God answers is this question if you think about it there's um, you you have a um, you know six years of uh, working the land and taking the harvest you then have the Sabbath year, which is that 49th year, the last one of the Sabbath cycle. And then you have another year where you're not farming the land. And the question was, how will we survive? But God says, I will provide, I will cause that sixth year, that year before the, um, the, uh, the, um, the Sabbath year, to be a bountiful year. I will bless you with a great crop so that you've got enough to look after yourself. For those two years. More than that, in the 50th year, in the year of Jubilee, you can take whatever's grown, whatever comes from the land. You can't farm it, but you can go and scavenge and take whatever happens um, to grow from it. So this year of Jubilee had these three elements, this element of restoration, restoration of the land, this element of the release of captives, and this element of God's faithful provision. And this all stems from this idea of the Sabbath. And so when Isaiah was telling the people he was, um, that God was going to restore the land, he was building on this jubilee model. And he was telling um, the, the Israelites, albeit that they didn't know this, they didn't understand the prophecy that yes, God was going to send them into exile in Babylon because they were a faithless people chasing after idols. But he would restore them in keeping with the the principles of the year of Jubilee. And he would release them from their captivity. He would restore the land to them and he would prove himself to be faithful in the provision that he made for them. Now let's start... Step back to Jesus. So there's Jesus standing in that synagogue, reading those words, and declaring that the year of the Lord's favour would now be. And he said, This prophecy has now been fulfilled in front of you. What did they understand? Jesus to be telling them. Well, all of this stuff, when they they heard of the Jubilee, they would have thought of the fact that it's tied up with the Sabbath and it speaks of the creator God. It speaks of the founder of the nation, the God who released them from captivity in Egypt and founded the land after their tour of 40 years around the wilderness. They would have remembered that he had released them from Babylon and reestablished the nation, reestablished the temple, reestablished the worship. They would have recalled that God provides for them. They see this in that basic principle of the, you know, that harvest uh, two years, as it were, before the. Um, the year of jubilee God providing a bountiful harvest they would have also recalled that from their wanderings in the wilderness if you recall with the manna the manna would come down and God told them you only collect enough for the day and if they collected more than enough for the day the surplus went rotten except for the day before the sabbath when they couldn't collect it on the sabbath they were told to collect two days worth enough that they needed and they collected two days and the extra day's worth did not go rotten. God's faithful provision. So it speaks to them of the faithfulness of God, of their need to rest and trust in the faithfulness of his provision. There was this reliance upon God. So all of these things... They would have been thinking of this release, this restoration, this faithful provision. But what then of the people that Jesus spoke of in that? The poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. That word for poor is fascinating. I don't think that in the UK, even the poorest person in the UK, that word covers. It means that you have such poverty that you are unable to change your circumstance. There is nothing that you can do to dig yourself out of the hole of poverty that you are in. It's complete and total abject poverty. what I just said was a little bit wrong that there isn't anybody in the UK I think it's true materially spiritually everybody is there everybody is there nobody can do a single thing to change their spiritual situation of themselves so Jesus came to proclaim the good news to the poor he came um, to proclaim liberty to the captives And there's plenty of scripture for us to understand that spiritually we're captive to sin. As a result of the fall, we have corrupt, degenerate hearts that prefer ourselves to God. And that in itself is sin. Anything that comes from that is sin. And we are captive to it. There is nothing because, as we read in that fighter verse, we are dead or were dead in our trespasses and sins. And if you're dead, you're dead. All you can do is rot. You cannot change your circumstance. One iota, apart from rescue. And the blind. Spiritually, man is naturally blind. And we're blind on two counts. We're blind because of our natural sin and enmity towards God. We just want nothing, nothing, nothing to do with him. Nothing at all. And therefore, we cannot see the spiritual things that we're told. This book is nonsense to the man without spiritual interpretation through the Holy Spirit. But Paul also tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians that um, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God so not only is man naturally blind Satan is doing his best to keep him blind and then there are the oppressed and as we read up there of where we all once were following the spirit following the prince of the power of the air The spirit that is at work in those who don't believe. And that's where we all were, completely unable to change our situation. Apart from Jesus proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. Now when Isaiah wrote, he was a witness to what God was going to do. So he was reporting what God was going to do. But here we have the proclamation of the King who can say, it will be so, and it is so. It's that picture of the proclamation being written and nailed to the wall so that everybody can see it. And he's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour upon those who are poor, captive, blind and oppressed. To the place where we were, to All of those described by Ephesians 1 to 3 that we read in the fighter verse. So what's Jesus promising us? He's promising us release. Because that's what the year of Jubilee is about. He's promising us restoration. Because that's what the year of Jubilee is about. And he's promising us the provision Uh, 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 the faithful provision because that's what the year of jubilee is about and he is the only one who can declare that authoritatively nobody else can and he's able to do that because he brought it about through the cross and when he he died and when he rose again he inaugurated he started he kicked off the year of the lord's favor at that point and it's because he is the son of god who gave himself on the cross that's why he is the only one who has the ability to do that is the only one to proclaim release and restoration to declare the year of the lord's favor and this is given as a gift again a few verses on this what we've just started is the beginning of learning Um, Ephesians chapter 2 and later in chapter 2 we read for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast Jesus here is promising that gift of salvation to all who will believe all who have faith And so, that free gift is given to those who have faith. But for those who don't have faith, he makes it available. That's his promise. Just think of this. When he started, when he made that promise, nobody had received the year of the Lord's favour. Nobody. So even today, for folk who have not yet received it, that promise is still available Because that was God's mission, or Christ's mission statement. He said, this is what I've come to do. And he's still doing it. And in many ways, because it was his mission statement, it's our mission statement as a church too. And so, if you recall the Ephesian jailer, back to Ephesians, he said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the access To the year of the Lord's favour. So how should we respond? Let's ponder that for a moment. How should we respond? So we who believe, we need to remember where we were. Dead in trespasses and sin. Children of wrath. Captives, poor, blind, oppressed and our response should be one of praise and thankfulness because we know the year of the Lord's favour we know that release we know that restoration we know that faithful provision so we should respond with praise and thanksgiving we should also respond by asking him to continue to fulfil that promise for those that we know who do not believe those who we know are not yet in the kingdom who do not yet benefit from the year of the Lord's favor so we should praise and we should pray (coughs) and if you're in that place where you haven't yet received the year of the Lord's favor then believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that's the word of God believe in the Lord Jesus Christ Seek him to give you that year of his favour. Seek it now and don't let him go until he grants that to you. May the Lord bless you.